Welcome to Study the Word Podcast with your host, Dr. Marty Mento. Together we will discover wisdom that leads to salvation and spiritual growth. Here with today's Bible teaching is your host, Dr. Marty Mento. Well, thank you, Randy, and welcome once again to the all-new Study the Word Podcast. And if you have your Bibles today, turn to Romans chapter 15. That's Romans chapter 15. And again, welcome to all of you who may be listening, wherever you may be today, as we continue in the series called The Hope of Heaven. And uh, I'm sure if you listened to the last, you know that this podcast is focusing on really diving deep into God's Holy Word and looking at Scripture very carefully and closely. And uh, what we're looking at is the word hope, four letters, one word. That is absolutely powerful. It's life-changing, the word hope. But we also have found so far that the way the world understands the word hope versus God's definition of hope are two different things. And so we want to continue on in this study, the hope of heaven. But if you have your Bibles, again, Romans chapter 15, look with me at verse 13. It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we realize from our last uh, teaching that uh, God is the God of hope. And the reason why we have hope is because we have believed, we have placed our faith, our trust in His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation, for our deliverance, uh, for Him to rescue us, to save us from His Father's wrath that is yet to come. But once we have the true hope within us, because of the God of hope that we look to and we believe in his promises, we are filled with joy. We have this peace that passes all understanding. We have peace with God himself. And that hope should continue and abound even more by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but that's absolutely exciting. And as a believer, I I love looking at that verse and holding on to what I find here in this verse, along with the rest of the passage here in Romans chapter 15. Now, last time we got together, we were talking about this reality that when we talk about God being a God of hope, a lot of people look at just the present Uh, what's going on in their lives, the difficulties that they're facing, the challenges that are before them. But the truth of the matter is, when we talk about hope, we are talking about really a future expectation, a future reality that's going to take place based upon the promises of God, a God who cannot lie. Well, there's one thing that we have in common, all men, and I mentioned it last time, that men don't want to talk about. They just don't like to dive into that conversation, but that is the fact that all men one day will face death. And then according to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, the Bible tells us distinctively, God tells us that we are going to all face death, and then comes judgment. Well, again, if you realize that judgment is truly for those who have not believed, those who have not put their faith and their trust in his Son, they are going to face God's judgment. But for those of us who are believers, those of us who have been saved, who have the Holy Spirit within us, there is no longer any condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So we have a peace, we have a joy, we have an understanding. But the Bible tells us, and this is very important as we go through this series, 
that in Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, when it comes to God, God is the one and the only one whom we will all give an account to. Let let me just read those verses to you, if I may. It says here, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us shall give account of himself to God. So we find out from Scripture here that all men are going to give an account to God. Everyone is. We're going to give an account based upon ourselves, not upon those around us, but we are going to give an account to God for me. You're going to give an account for yourself to God. But I think what we have to look at when we're talking about this word hope and understanding what hope is all about, without God and his intervention, there really is no hope in death. When you think of death, you think of separation. And separation, I know for many of you out there who will be listening to this podcast, you at some point in time, just like myself, have lost loved ones. And when we think about death, death is separation. We won't talk to them anymore. We won't see them anymore. Uh, We won't spend time with them anymore. Uh, the, The list can go on and on, but there's a separation. Now, we know as believers, we do believe that someday we will be reunited with those Uh, and whether they be family member, friends, co-workers, total strangers who are in Christ, that someday together we will celebrate, we will be all a part as God's family in that place that he has created for us, and, and we look forward to that. But for most people, when they think about death, there is no hope in death. Death is the end. So when we look at this whole issue of hope, again, true biblical hope is futuristic. A matter of fact, in the book of Colossians, if you have your Bibles, turn there for just a moment. Colossians chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So when we talk about hope, we're talking about that which is yet to come, that which is futuristic, that which is laid up for us in heaven. That's where our hope lies. So true biblical hope is futuristic. We look forward to all things becoming new, as it tells us in Revelation chapter 21. Matter of fact, the other day I just took a few moments and I was pondering on that passage, because that passage just, it just really ministers to me, because I was going through a real rough time that day, and and I was thinking about the world in which we live, and if we understand what God says, that as time goes by, as we draw closer to the return of Jesus, things are going to get more and more difficult. And people are going to suffer, and we're going to see uh, the results of, of just evil and wickedness that's out of control. But it tells us here in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death. 
There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And I could go on, but if you read Revelation 21, you see that there is a need for everything to become new. We look forward to that new heaven, that new earth. We look forward to our King Jesus ruling and us serving him in his kingdom and being in a place where there is no longer any sin. There's no sickness and disease. There's no crying, no suffering, no pain. And by far, there's no more death. We look forward to that. And the reason we do is because we realize, based upon the Word of God, that everything in our world has been affected, or some would say infected, by sin. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8 for just a moment, and I want to read a passage of Scripture to you in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. And uh, again, this just gives us an understanding of what's taking place Uh, We know, based upon the Word of God, that sin has entered into the world because of Adam. Because of Adam disobeying God, sin had entered into the world, and and we are all born sinners. We all uh, are affected by the sin of our forefather. Uh, We inherit sin. We're born sinners. We sin right from birth. But it tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, listen to this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, that's, that's a verse of hope. We look at the suffering around us, we realize everything that's going around and, and taking place, and, and uh, it's sometimes very, very overwhelming and challenging to us. But it's not worthy to be compared to that which is going to be revealed to us, that which is waiting for us, that which is going to take place someday. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not of its own, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. What a powerful passage there. We look forward to what is yet ahead because everything, even creation, is groaning because it's been affected by sin. And as I mentioned earlier, if we look at Matthew chapter 24 in the words of Jesus, verses 21 through 22, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, we see that the world in which we live, especially in the last days, it's going to get worse. 
It's going to get worse. False teachers are going to increase. They're going to go from bad to worse. Things are going to take place. We're, we're going to see, as we are already seeing now in the world in which we live, but it's going to get worse. So we look forward to our hope is not in what we see, but our hope, true biblical hope, is knowing based upon the promise of God that there is a place we are going to be in the presence of Almighty God with our Lord, our Savior, our King Jesus, and it's yet to come. So we fix our eyes upon Jesus. We set our thoughts and our longings upon the things that are above, upon what is yet to take place as we read just a few minutes ago about the new heaven and the new earth, we look forward to that day of what's coming. So we realize here that true biblical hope also is found in the gospel message. That's why the gospel is called the good news. Yes, it is about Jesus. Jesus is the good news, but God is the one who sent his son, his only begotten son. It's all good news because the reality is, as a sinner, living in a world that has fallen and affected by sin, we don't have any good news. And so many, so many people just don't quite get that and understand, and that's why in sharing the gospel message with people, we are bringing them good news of what is yet to come, of what God has promised us. So as we understand that here today, I want us to move on and move forward, and I want us to look specifically at that word, hope. Now, remember, four letters, one word. And so what I want to do is I want to use this teaching, the hope of heaven, to help you not only better understand biblical hope, but I really believe down deep inside, it is the message that the world needs. Over the last few months, uh, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, I struggled uh, just with so much that was going on, only, not only in my life personally, but in the world around me with people, loved ones that I care about so much, the things that are happening within the visible church, Christianity. Many things were just racing and running through my mind and heart over these issues. And as I began to really ponder them, as I began to pray, as I began to study God's Word, I, I, as I mentioned before, I realized what the world desperately needs is hope. They need hope. And I thought to myself, well, you know, we have people around us, we want to bring them hope, but how do we do it? Well, I really have come to believe down deep inside, we have to remember that one word, four letters, hope. And each of those letters, really, there is a message, a biblical message that can be presented to people in an evangelistic way, but also in a way that would encourage others who are believers to realize that our hope is yet to come. It's not in what we see now, but it's coming. But for those who are living in the world to realize it's not about always looking at the present difficulties and the problems, but the greatest problem that all men is, are going to face is death. And are they prepared? Do they have any hope when it comes to death? And as I mentioned before, God is the God of hope, and God is the only one who truly can, when it comes to death, intervene in such a way that it brings us hope, because without his intervention, there is no hope in death. Death is an end-all. Death is frightening. De death is, is, is a terrible thing. 
But again, as I just was today, just looking as the news was coming across the local news on my phone, I began to realize last night, while I had my head on my pillow, sound asleep, dreaming sweet dreams, there were people in our community who have passed away. They have died. And now family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, whoever it may be, are awakened this morning to realize that that person is no longer there with them. How discouraging, how depressing. But again, for us as believers, when it comes to death, there should be rejoicing. There should be peace and comfort because of those loved ones that we know who are in Christ have went before us and they're waiting for us. And we someday will join them. So here's the key. I want us to look at this word hope. I want us to break down each letter And I want us to be able to use it evangelistically and in a way of encouragement for believers who are listening to this podcast. So let's start first with the letter H. H. As I mentioned about the gospel message, and I've taught this for many years, when it comes to the gospel, the gospel begins with God. That's something I think we have to understand, and we have to understand very carefully. The gospel message begins with God. He is the God of hope, as we've already learned in Romans fifteen thirteen. So when we think of H, and we think of the letter H, I, I want to think of what kind of God is God? Well, I think the bottom line is we come to realize that God, first and foremost, more than anything else, is a holy God. He's the holy God of heaven. His throne is in the heavens. The earth is his footstool. So when we think of the H, the letter H in the word hope, we've got to start with God. He's a holy God who's of heaven, who, who's in heaven. That's where he dwells. That's where he is in this place where there is no sin. There is no death. There is nothing that in any way, shape, or form would uh, affect God because God is holy. God is pure. There is nothing around him that should not be around him. Um, And again, if if sin would be present, as I've taught before, he has to deal with it. But God is holy. And I want us to look at this and look at this from a biblical perspective. First of all, in Isaiah chapter 6, if you have ever studied Isaiah, Isaiah found himself being confronted with the reality of being before God. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, it tells us that in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And the one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined." Because I am a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Can you imagine being Isaiah and being in the presence of Almighty God? But the key here in this is the demonstration within God's kingdom of the seraphim, of the ones who declared, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is a holy God. He is the holy God of heaven. We have other passages in the scripture, like, for instance, in the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 11, verse 4. In Psalms 11, 4, we, we read these words about God. Listen carefully. It says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. I mean, when you think about this, God is holy, and he is in a holy temple. The place in which God dwells in his kingdom, his kingdom is holy because he is holy. Uh, We find other places in Isaiah 66, verse 1. So we get a picture here, and, and there's many other passages and scripture references that talk about the holiness of God. But what we have to understand that this one true and living God of the Bible that we find in the Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God, that he's holy. He is a holy God. We, we cannot for not even for a moment take that away. We have to understand that we're dealing with a holy God. And again, he dwells in a temple that's holy because Everything around him must be holy. We also learn from Scripture, like in John chapter 4, verse 24, when Jesus is talking with the woman at the well, that God himself is spirit. In Acts chapter 17, verses 23 through 31, we have one of the most detailed accounts of this holy God's character and his actions. As Paul gives his sermon, uh, and he speaks to those who are listening, and he questions them about the gods in which they serve, but there was a statue, or at least there was a stone to an unknown god. And Paul takes this opportunity to define to all who are listening the truth about the one true and living God of the Bible. And again, it's an awesome passage, but the detail about God and his character and his actions It is a passage to study, I'm telling you. So the gospel, again, always begins with God who is holy. And again, when we're talking about God being holy, we're talking about the fact that he's pure. He's without darkness or without sin. There's nothing bad or wrong with God. We realize that there's only one true and living God, and we can find this out from Deuteronomy chapter uh, 32. So if you have your Bibles, turn there for just a moment. I'm going to read the passage, verses 1 through 4, but Deuteronomy chapter 32, it says these words. Listen very carefully. Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets of the fresh grass, and as the showers of the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, 
for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteousness and upright is he. So from this passage, we see here that, that, that God is righteous, all of his work is perfect, and the reason is, is because God is holy. Everything about God. Uh, if you go and you go to the New Testament in 1 John chapter 1, that's 1 John chapter 1, we, we read these words in regards to God, and listen to what John writes about God in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. In other words, there's no sin. Darkness here is representation of sin. There's nothing bad. There's nothing sinful. There's nothing wrong with God. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 tells us that God is so holy, he can't even look upon sin. It can't even be in his presence without him dealing with it. And last but not least, and, and there's so much more I could say about this H in talking about the holiness of God, but we know from Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, that Jesus, when he was before uh, the leaders, the religious leaders, Jesus said something to them that by far caused a great disturbance among them, but he made it very perfectly clear to them in verse 48, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, our, our holy God is perfect. He is pure. He's righteous. He does what is right all the time. There is no sin, nothing wrong with God. And God tells us that we are to be perfect just as he is perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but when you begin to think about that and you begin to put that all together, that becomes troubling. But again, if we're going to bring people hope in a world in which there is so much suffering, so much turmoil, uh, heartache and pain, all men are going to face death. I mean, if we're going to bring people hope, we got to start with a holy God who's in heaven. He's the holy God of heaven. And he is completely different than man. And the reason he is is because he's holy and man's not holy. And we know from the passages of Scripture, and there are so many passages that give us this understanding that it's almost mind-boggling. God himself is set apart. I have thought about this for many years, and I think it's so important for us to hold on to this and never let it go, but God is God, and we are not. God is our creator, and we are his creation. Like, for instance, in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, it says this. Listen to these words. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Wow, what a passage of Scripture. God is not man. He's not a son of man. Like some false teaching that is out there today by different cultic groups 
even some who want to claim to be Christians. God is not like a man. He's not a son of another man. God is God, and man is not. I think in passages like, for instance, going back again to the book of Isaiah, if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 45 for just a moment. In Isaiah 45, again, the, the prophet who was able to once again stand in the presence of Almighty God, recognizing that he was a man of unclean lips, that he came from a people of unclean lips, and he was ruined because here a man who is not like God, who is not holy, who's not pure, who's not righteous, who's a sinner, is standing before a holy God. And if you finish reading that story, you begin to understand that they had to bring a cleansing to him in order to be in the presence of Almighty God with the coals that touched his lips. But it tells us here in Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 and 6, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. So there's only one God. There is no other gods, small g, or anything else that compares to God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Wow. So God is God, and man is not God. So, so again, we, we come to realize, so we also realize that this holy God of heaven He's not like man. There's no one that can compare to him. There's no one like him. There's nothing like him at all. He is distinct. He is unique because he's God. But we learn from God's, from the Bible that this holy God is the one who's created everything. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God created. That includes not just everything of the world, the sky, the birds, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the trees, the list goes on. It includes you and me. He created mankind. Matter of fact, one of the most refreshing passages, and I I have to be honest with you, I find myself so often turning there, is found in Psalms 139. If you've never read Psalms 139, verses 1 through 18, I want to encourage you to do so. But in this psalm here, God defines his omnipotence, his omniscience. He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He knows us best. He knows us better than our parents know us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows everything about us. And one of the passages there, or in that passage there, I should say, is one of the verses that I I turn quite often to find comfort in verse 16, where God says, And in thy book they were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. God has written down that there's a plan. He has a plan and a purpose for my life. And though at times I, I'm confused in the sense that I'm not sure what God is doing because God is God, and he doesn't have to tell me what he's doing. He doesn't have to demonstrate. But as things begin to unfold, the things that have been hidden begin to be revealed. But even then, 
we realize that God is God. What he does and why he does it is far too great for us to comprehend. But he has a plan. He has a purpose for every one of us. But when I read Psalms 139 quickly, I realize how much he loves me, how important I am to God, and that I have been created by God. I am unique. I am just what God wanted me to be. And I think that's what we need to understand about God, not only that he is a holy God of heaven, but he is the one who's created everything. But we also realize, too, that the same holy God of heaven is a God of love, a God who demonstrates kindness, and a God who brings about salvation. As we had mentioned earlier in the book of 1 John, if you are maybe still there or you go back to 1 John for just a moment, it tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And we got to understand that. God is agape. Agape comes from God. The only way to have true love and to know true love is to know God, because God is love. And we also, in the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 145, Psalms 145, and for some of you, you may have to write these down, and I, I try my best here in this podcast series not to go too fast uh, so that I you know bypass anybody or they're not able but you, you can always uh, rewind a little bit or go back on the podcast but in Psalms 145 verses 17 through 20 it says the Lord is righteous in all his ways so so that means that everything that God does is right God doesn't make a mistake he doesn't fail he doesn't make a blunder he is righteous. He does what is right in everything that he does, because that's who he is. Then it says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. Have you ever thought about the kindness of God? It's the kindness of God that has led you and led me to repentance, that leads others to repentance. The kindness of God. Some people have often said that God doesn't seem to be fair. If God was only fair, things would be better. Well, if God was fair, we would all truly be heading to his wrath. But in his kindness, he leads us to repentance and salvation through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. He provided the way, the means. He's given us the message and the method which is a gift from him, a part of his grace. He's kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. Think about that. When they call upon him for salvation, or you as a child of God call upon him, he's near to you. Now, we can look at other passages of Scripture that tells us that the Lord doesn't hear the, the cries of the sinner, of those, unless they're crying out for salvation, then they want God to rescue and save them. The truth of the matter is God's not a genie in heaven that gives people what they want. But we also know, too, that God is all-knowing. So even though he doesn't hear their cries, we have to understand what that means. He, he hears everything. He knows everything because he's God. But it tells us here, to all who call upon him in truth. So he's near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. So again, he knows what is true. He knows 
uh, whether or not they recognize him for who he is and why they're calling upon him, what is the rhyme and the reason. Uh, matter of fact, as believers, we are told there are times that our prayers are not answered because we ask him with the wrong motives, the wrong intentions. See, because we serve a God who's created us, he knows everything about us. It says he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry, and he will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Once again, great promises that is given to us by God. And I've already mentioned he's righteous and just. He does what is right. We see that in verse 17. So once again, when we talk about the H, when we talk about the holy God of heaven, we have to understand that that encompasses an awful lot of things. Once again, he is holy. He is spirit. He is pure without darkness or sin. There's nothing bad or nothing wrong with God. He's so holy that he can't even look upon sin. If it's in his presence, he must deal with it. He's perfect, and he expects man to be. But he's not like man. He's not the son of man. He is holy, and man is not holy. He is the creator of all things, including you and I. He's the God of love and kindness, the God of salvation. He is the one who rescues. He is the one who saves. He's the one who redeems. But he's righteous and just in all he does. So when we start bringing people the gospel message of hope, we have to start with God. I really believe with all that is within me that one of the biggest problems we have today in our world in which we live is not understanding God. And I mean this sincerely. I am thoroughly convinced that that's what is wrong. And quite often, even within the visible church, I know that when I truly was saved, one of the things that became very refreshing to me, and still is to this day, is finding out more about God, the God who created me, the God who saved me, the God who loves me, but also about the God who is just and righteous, perfect, pure, the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, the God who is all-present everywhere. He's omnipresent. To learn about God, because as we do so, I really truly believe what it does for us, it gives us not only a wholesome understanding about God, but it gives to us a reverence, a fear of God. And I believe when we're sharing the gospel today and we want to bring people hope in the world in which we live, we have to begin with God. We begin with the H, the holy God of heaven. And as we continue in this series, The Hope of Heaven, I believe you'll see where this one word, four letters, will bring us to a point where ultimately we are sharing the good news, the gospel. We are encouraging others. But we have to paint the accurate picture. We have to share with people, this is the reality. Here is God, and you're not. You don't even have to use those words. I think it becomes just recognizable. 
that I'm not perfect. I have sin within my life. I, I don't do what is right all the time. And by far we know that we haven't created anything. We haven't brought anything into this. Even thinking about this as a man and woman come together and they bring forth a child, they're really not the ones, even though God uses that method of a man and a woman coming together, ultimately God is the creator of that child. But I really believe that if we focus and we share with people in the world in which we live today, true biblical hope, they must understand about the holy God of heaven. And what a difference it will make, because so many people don't understand God, or they see just one aspect of God, that God is a God of love. But what does that mean to them? To some, it means that God accepts everyone the way they are, who they are, what they do. He really doesn't care. It's like we all just get together, and God's going to give us a big hug and kiss, and he's like a big old grandfather in the sky just waiting for us to come and sit by him in his rocking chair. Or you have others who see a God of strictly judgment, who wants to send lightning bolts and strike people down, and wants to make people unhappy, and is just waiting for a moment to zap you or to do something to you. And the list goes on. And then you have those, well, you have those who claim to be atheists and say there is no God, which we know based upon the Word of God in Romans chapter 1, all men know that there's a God. Through creation itself, God has made it evident to them, so they're without excuse someday. But again, do they really understand about this God, this one and true God, which no one is like him? No man compares to him. Why? Because he's God. And so I hope today that as we continue in the study, the hope of heaven, that you'll continue to listen, you'll tell others, and we'll continue to really grow spiritually. And we'll gain a, a knowledge and insight that will help us not only to become all that God wants us to be, but ultimately to be able to share with other people in the world in which we live. One word, four letters, hope. Thanks for listening to Study the Word Podcast with Bible teacher Dr. Marty Minto. If you have questions in regards to today's study or any questions about the Bible and or spiritual issues, then email us at studythewordpodcast at gmail.com. We hope through today's teaching you have learned biblical truth so that you can teach others and defend the Christian faith. Tell others about Study the Word Podcast available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor.fm. Once again, thanks for listening to Study the Word Podcast with Dr. Marty Mento.